We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Day More NBA Podcast. We're back for the 2019-20 season. And before we get into it, um, some, I don't I guess, exciting news about a new year in this pod. We, we haven't recorded for about a month, and it's going to be different. We're going to be upping to two episodes a week for this season. So last year, if you remember, we were recording every Thursday, as we are today. And, but we're all, are also going to add Mondays. So Charlie Johnson's here with me in studio and will continue to be on Thursdays, but Britt Robson of The Athletic will also be joining in a consistent role on Mondays. So obviously the NBA season's a little weird and they'll, they'll, we'll mix in other guests and stuff from you know here and there. That will generally be the schedule. So the way I'm thinking about it, Charlie, is you are like the podcast of the weekend, Britt the podcast of the week. You'll be a little bit more consistent because... I like being the weekend guy. The weekend guy. <laughs> Charlie the weekend guy. How about that, though? That's sweet. It's going to be a good year. I think so, man. It's, uh, I think particularly, you know, I've talked about this. It's, we got we to lock in early in the season. There's, there's so much unknown with this team because it's new. It's a new coach, a new group. And um, I guess for us, selfishly, the team will probably be most interesting at the beginning of the season because there's certainly potential for things to go. <laughs> To go south, so we're gonna we're gonna bring a bunch of stuff here at the beginning of the year, and that's all audio here with um, with a ton of season preview podcasts and everything in that realm. But also, Charlie and I have been kind of working on a Timberwolves preseason guide and a whole bunch of stuff there that'll be coming out a little closer to this season. We're recording this one on September twelfth. If you're listening out of order to these or going back to to listen to this, we're, we're going to do a four part season preview starting you know, today and then the next three Thursdays to kind of move through through the roster. Charlie, you want to explain to them what our plan is there? Yeah. Well, we 
It is. I can't remember the last time there was this much turnover, not only among the players, but the coaching staff in the front sure. office as well. There's so much to get into. But today we're going to talk about the potential for the Timberwolves starting lineup, specifically the fifth spot that will come alongside Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, Robert Covington, and Carl Anthony Towns. And I think that's super interesting because, like we've talked about, it'll give us a, a real glimpse into kind of the the priorities of Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders. Right, and we can kind of think about it as, you got to think about it as a starting lineup that'll dictate so much of it. But for me, it was, it's an interesting exercise to to say, what if that's Jake Lehman, what does this team look like? If that's Culver, what does that this look like? And even if one of the two of them isn't starting, they will get an opportunity mm-hmm. to play with that group. So I think the conversation will be rele- relevant even if Jordan Bell doesn't start. We yep. can talk about what a lineup of Cat, Jordan Bell, Robert Covington, Wiggins, and Teague looks like because you got to think at some point they're going to play. Yeah, absolutely. And like, what what might it say about the the priorities of those in charge if it's Jake Lehman versus Jordan Bell versus Josh Okogi? And I just think generally it's probably the most interesting question facing this team right now. Right. And then next week we're going to start a three part series going through the roster, not player by player, but position group by position group. So we'll start out with the bigs. So that'd be Carl Anthony Towns, Noah Vonley, Jordan Bell, Gorgie Jang, and Nas Reed. And then the week after that, the Wings, Jake Lehman, Robert Covington, Andrew Wiggins, Trevion Graham, and Kata Bates, Diop. And then after that, the guards, Jeff Teague, Shabazz Napier, and then Josh Okogie, Jarek Culver, and Jalen Noel. Some of those position, those people could be in different position groups, but that balances it Gives out. us a way to kind of get through the, the whole roster and you know take the time because it's easy if we just did it all in one spot to maybe focus on Carl Anthony Towns because yep. he's the best player or someone you or I are randomly interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually taking time to, to talk about Trevion Graham and this, who is that? Or, or what, what does Noah Vonley mean, you know, specifically to this team? We'll get into that, I guess, a little bit today, but mm-hmm. thinking about the team in position groups helps me think about the rotation because we can, I just, even with that bigs group, you're like, Right, those are a lot of guys who are we would kind of assume would all play. Yeah. And except and then, for Nas, yeah. And, but then at the same time, you're like, well, they're not gonna play four centers. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, and they're all centers. I mean exactly. a couple of them can be fudged, play power forward, right. but in an ideal world, they might all be centers. I think as we take the time to go into that, we will we'll like we'll learn ourselves of like, oh yeah, that doesn't work. Or or maybe yeah. this does work. It's yeah. we'll we'll talk through all of that. But um Today, like you said, we're gonna we're just gonna talk about the starting lineup and who we think that fifth starter would be. But I don't think we know for sure. I wrote a column, kind of guessing on each of the players. So we'll, we'll use that as an outline. I don't even bit. think no one's really hinted at it yet, have they? I mean, a little bit. I my my guesses are kind of a like a combination of of like everything that they've said over the summer from all these little mini press conferences, mm-hmm. whether it was in Vegas or afterwards or at the state fair. And this, you know, if, when you're just there and you're actually like typing the transcriptions of what they're saying, you, you kind of pick up on words, or at least I tell myself in my head, I like <laughs> convince myself it means something. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go with my conspiracy theories in that way. But before we get into the starting lineup guesses, educated guesses, um, it, we haven't, we haven't talked in a month on the podcast. So just, we went into the offseason in depth over the summer, but has anything kind of in this month of time where it has sunk in that D'Angelo Russell isn't on the team and that 
Noel Vonley and Jordan Bell are, are on the team, and Ryan Saunders is the coach. And mm-hmm. like, has anything just kind of percolated up for you, or like as as a thought that's kind of sticky? Because I have one. Yeah, that's a good question. And there are two things that immediately jump into my mind. One is positive, and one is negative. <laughs> I'll say both of them, but which yeah. one do you want me to say first? Um, positive, man. It's, Undefeated right now. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I think this goes along well. I'm not sure how many of the people listening to this podcast would have read the piece that John Krasinski published in The Athletic today where mm-hmm. he talked to Gerson Rosas yep. about this whole offseason and what ended up playing out with D'Angelo Russell not coming and then them pivoting to these shorter, cheaper contracts giving to young players. And it's as I... I'm a, an avid consumer of NBA media. And so it's been really interesting throughout the summer to kind of hear how people who I respect are viewing what the Timberwolves did in the offseason. And something that has come up more often than I expected is this idea that there wasn't much of a plan. It was kind of like a they went for D'Angelo Russell and it didn't work and then they didn't do anything cool after that. And I, I can understand how somebody might see it that way, but I just I couldn't feel more differently and this isn't to say that I'm optimistic about the season because I'm not but I am optimistic (laughs) about the fact that there's a plan that is diligently being followed I have no idea whether I know the timeline of it but yeah there's a track or whether it's going to be successful but it's it's a track that I tend to agree with and one that I'm excited to see play out so that's one that's That's positive positive. I, I I think that Gerson Ross has had a plan the negative is I've, I've talked about this a, a lot about the idea that the Timberwolves have a baseline for how good their offense will be as long as Carl Anthony Towns is healthy. And I think that's true. But the more I, I dig into this Timberwolves roster, the more that I think there's a chance that they push that kind of floor this year. They, mm-hmm. they ranked 13th by offensive rating Cats rookie year after ranking 28th the season before. The year after they went to 10th, then 4th, then back to 13th in 2018-19 last season. But when I look at this roster and I see that there is such a lack of ball handlers, like what happens if Jeff Teague gets hurt? I mean, was it Ryan Saunders who was asked about kind of the point guard depth chart? And he said, well, it's Teague and Napier, and then it's Wiggins and Culver. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if one of those guys gets hurt, specifically Teague or Napier, you're really plugging a question mark into the rotation into a huge part in the rotation, one that's going to initiate an offense that is expected to be successful. So I see risks there. And then I also look at this team's shooters. And I've, I've mentioned this stat before, but it's, it's staggering to me. Um, the Timberwolves have, what, 18 players on their roster right now, something like that? Yeah. If you look at Carl Anthony Towns and Robert Covington, the team's two best shooters by far, those two made 227 of 583s last year. That's 39.1% of their three-pointers. Everyone else on the roster combined made 469 of 1,468, which is 31.9%. Can you guess who, besides Cat and Covington, the Timberwolves' two best shooters are by three-point percentage? From last year? From last year. That are on the current roster? Uh, should be able to do this. One is Wiggins. And one is Gorgie Jang. So, <laughs> so they didn't get any. So and they've got they did get guys who are more like willing three point shooters like Trevion Graham and Shabazz Napier and, and Jake Lehman. They'll all shoot it. Just none of them did it with much success last year. And none of them have done it with a, a whole great amount of mm-hmm. success 
to in their career to date. So it, it will be a balance of like it will help this team to shoot more threes, but if they really can't make anything and if defenders don't respect those shooters who are shooting them, it could be a drag on the offense. And I think it will be interesting to see whether this offense might move down to 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th in the NBA. And if they do, then they really need to make a defensive jump or else it, the, the tanking talk will be around. So if we, if we both, if we assume that both of your, your positive thing and your negative thing are a truth, one is having a plan, confidence mm-hmm. in a plan, right? And mm-hmm. if we believe, then that's for the big picture of constructing this roster going forward. And if, if the other is they have a shooting problem, mm-hmm. if you put those two together, you would suggest they have a plan, a contingency plan for that shooting problem that they've, that they've thought it through. And I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's staggering and it's, it's bizarre. It's the, it's the strongest case you can make for this team being very bad mm-hmm. this year is, is the lack of shooting and that absolutely congesting um, probably they're the, the offensive skills of, of cat mm-hmm. in on the interior in any sort of way. And then Jeff Teague and Andrew Wiggins ability, you know, to get into the lane, to get to the basket, it will be more congested. So, so I, I think about that and I'm going, well, that's just going to be a bad offense. But if we do have faith that there is a plan, and maybe this is more so a coaching plan, but if those things do in fact align, I think there will be a contingency plan for that. And, and that's what I've kind of batted around in my head along those lines is, what's the contingency plan for offensive efficiency? Because you didn't improve your offensive talent and you didn't necessarily add pieces that improve offense in the, you know, the traditional capacity, which yeah. would be three-point shooting and guys who can get to the rim. Yeah, Those maybe. are the most efficient, the most impactful types of offense. So mm-hmm. I think you're right on, on both of those things. Those are, those are interesting. I, I want to see how they you know, intertwine. Yeah. When you say contingency plan, is the first thing that comes into your mind like Robert Covington at the four? Or, or what no, do you have in my, mind? For my that? contingency plan for the, the offense, if it were me, it would be you know, fi- finding a way to have Carl Anthony Towns be the fulcrum and have yeah. in, in a way where he is, I, I don't know if it directly translates to usage rate, but to touch time, impact on the offense. And then you, you, you surround that in a way where he is. He is help, so helpful to those other pieces where their three-point shots will be wide open, or that he will be able to find them on cuts, you know, towards the basket, in, in a way that that allows them to be more effective than those stats last year mm-hmm. would suggest. That would be my guess for what the plan is. Um, that that's optimistic, though. Yeah, Cat hasn't operated from the high post in that in that sort of way. That that how I would do it much at all. He did towards the end of the year some, but largely if you remember back to games last year, it's like just dump the ball into the post to cat. Yep. That was so much of his, that was so much of what defined him as the fulcrum last year. I think that will change and you'll see him move to the nail extended above the break to, you know, to, to make everyone else better. Yep. And, but that is the synopsis of it, that it's interesting that the offense got worse and it's going to in all likelihood depend on either big 
relatively unexpected jumps from certain players for the offense to improve or these sort of schematic efficiencies like can we use cat in a way that helps everyone get open shots better can we take away the inefficient shots that players like andrew wiggins or even a jeff teague or even a josh okogi took a lot of last year like just how can we redistribute our action and our shot attempts to make something that just like mathematically works a little bit better. And maybe those two things can kind of balance each other out, but it's something that I'm interested in watching. Yeah. I think it's just a, it's just a style of play thing. Mm -hmm. And by choosing a style that best fits your group or best fits your plan of your group going forward, that inherently makes all those math things you're talking about, you know, get better. Yep. And I, I think that will more so be the plan rather than slapping people on the wrist for taking a mid-range jump shot or, or getting s- hyper-specific where and when players can be. It's more an over a holistic kind of way of approaching yeah. the whole game, not just offense. Yeah, Because right? we can just think about the half-court setting, but the defense ties in, the way you play defense ties into the way that you can move into the pace Absolutely. to the, the offensive end. And if they're able to, do they want to be a team that goes really, really fast? Or do you want to be a team that goes situationally fast mm-hmm. and then settles into more of a slower half-court offense? I mean, though, ideally, they've picked the right options yep. given the roster. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But it's a good point that playing faster and creating more transition opportunities is another way that they can help that offense right. to be more efficient. But what's yours? Mine, yours is positive and ne- or and negative, and mine's just um, just ambiguous. It's the thing that I just have thought about over this month. And granted, we haven't had a whole lot of exposure to anyone on the team, but you just, you look at the roster over and over, and you see the things that um, Rosas and Saunders have been at. They had some media availabilities with the, with the state fair where they you know were talked and asked a lot about Andrew Wiggins, and it, it's. It's a it's a weird place for me to sit because I, I feel that I've been um, I've been someone who's been so like bearish, yeah on on and on Andrew and the way he's he's played so long and for so in my vision of what needed to happen it was probably didn't include Andrew in the picture and or or really getting him to change his shots and I, I've now got to this point where. It really feels like things have swung too far, or that's just kind of the the, the sense I get. And I'm I, what I'm interested to see is if Andrew delivers the first twenty games of the season at a level that is a lot better than last year. It's not going to obviously be at star a star level that just is very unlikely. I'm really interested to see when he if he does exist in that middle ground of a capable starting player, how his perception. Mm-hmm. does change yeah and that that's just the kind of thought i keep going back to and really my belief is it's going to be a lot better and i believe that's a lot of things you were talking about if they are able to play in a scheme a system that that highlights the main pieces on their team they've decided andrew wiggins is the main piece of this team for now and i think they will adjust for that in ways that the previous regime did not mm-hmm. and and i think i think andrew will fit into this better than he has at any other scheme in his life. I think that will, obviously Carl is the fulcrum. He's the most important thing, but I do think there will be a plan for, this is how we get more out of Andrew Wiggins. And 
obviously there's the the risk of him that not sinking in and him mm-hmm. not figuring that out. But I don't know. I have this assumption that we're going to be 20 games in the season and people are going to be writing like, is Andrew Wiggins turning the corner? Yep. And it wouldn't be the first time he started the season strong or anything strong along stretch. those lines. It, it, I, again, and it feels weird for me to yeah. say this because I, I don't even know how many articles I've written about Andrew <laughs> Wiggins' shot selection or the the impact on the team on a micro or macro salary caps, you know? Yeah. But as I let the off season go, you didn't trade them. You didn't, this is the roster you have. I just, I go back to this team and I start thinking about how they're going to play. I start thinking about the players who are going to get minutes. And I know Andrew Wiggins is going to be a player who gets 30 some minutes a game. And it's like, I'm interested to see what he does with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'd probably be higher than the market. Now the average person, maybe yeah, by a sure. lot that it's going to be a lot better. Well, that's a good point because be, as a result of the fact that Andrew Wiggins gets paid so much money the and was the number one overall draft pick and was the number one high school prospect forever, there are the expectations are that it's, he's a bust if he's not a, an all-star player. Um, Maybe it's that I've just totally turned that off. Yeah, and that's I think that that's a smart way to go because I do think it's probably being underappreciated that he could – take that jump from, you know, a 5% player to a 25% player, mm-hmm. if for whatever that means. Random, yeah. um, but my, my follow-up question would be, and I think that the reaction would be really positive, especially among fans, if he can just be somebody who scores 21 points per game on 44% field goal shooting. Like, that will be, it will get a positive reaction from the fans if he becomes just sort of like an average starter. But what would that do to your perception of Andrew Wiggins on the Timberwolves? Yeah, well, that's the thing is you probably need him to become something great. Yeah. And what you're describing isn't great. Yeah. Uh, I think it beats the alternative. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I guess that's all I'm focusing on right now because no more moves, no more roster reconstruction is happening for months. Yep. So this is what you got. Let's see what it is. Yeah. Let's see what it is. It's a different group. It's a different coaching staff. It's a whole different thing mm-hmm. that he's existing in now. And we can go back and, I mean, and talk about the other programs and systems he's played for with Flip and Sam Mitchell and Thibodeau, where in my p- opinion, they square pegged him into a round hole and it was, he didn't do anything with it and probably like just dropped the whole square peg and just said, I'm not trying. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't the best utility of him. And I'm, I think he, they could be a better utility of him, and we'll see how much that moves the needle overall. I don't, yeah, I don't know how good it'll be, but it's, it's the, and I hate it because I've spent way too much time in my mind thinking about oh, how do we improve Andrew Wiggins? Like I don't even want to do that anymore, but it's the main thing I think about with the new regime. Yeah, and I think it would move the needle because, like you said, and as much as it grinds my gears, in all likelihood he's going to get those 30, 31, 36 minutes a game almost irregardless of his performance. Now, hopefully that changes moving forward, but that's how it's been in the past. So if you're going to play him for the whole game, any sort of marginal improvement in the output or the production that he provides you can go such a long ways Mm -hmm. because he's 20% of your product on the floor. I have an an interesting nugget that I found today um, that came to my mind because you mentioned Andrew Wiggins playing time. So Andrew Wiggins has played 14,384 NBA minutes over his six-year career. 
If you add up all the minutes that Noah Vonley, Jordan Bell, Jake Lehman, Shabazz Napier, Trevion Graham, and Ty Wallace have played in their NBA career, it's 16,703. So only a little bit more than Andrew Wiggins has played. <laughs> For all of them. That's wild. And that's part of that is like um, a compliment to what? how healthy he's been. But, but the other part of it is that's what informs everyone's opinion who wants to just give up and say, we're done. So we've seen 15,000 minutes of this. Yeah. He's 24. He's not 15, a he's not a baby anymore, you know. And I, I get that. And Robert, that, that's fair. Robert Covington has played just over 9,000 minutes wow. in his career. Wow, he's 28. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's there's been no shortage of opportunity. Yeah, for Andrew, but I do think like zero. He has so far received zero opportunity this season. Yeah, absolutely. Duh. But like, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about. And those. Small adjustments could have, have a great impact on this team. Absolutely. Um, let's get into the starting lineup. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, it's judging from the comments over the, the course of the summer, uh, starting with draft night once they traded uh, Dario Saric. I, it was me, actually. I, I asked Kirsten Rose. It was kind of weird. We had to, like, the trade wasn't yeah. official, so we had to kind of navigate it. And it was like, what type of player is <laughs> most helpful for Cat? At the as a big alongside of him because you couldn't actually say Dario Saric couldn't say Jared Culver or he wouldn't have commented on it, and obviously he got the gist of what I was getting at. Saric isn't on the team anymore, and he responded with Robert Covington's best position offensively is the four. So going off of that, and then you know following up with Ryan Saunders, he said most likely, most likely he's going to we got a phone call. It's like the movie theater ringtone too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> disturbing your movie uh <laughs> most likely it'll be that that coven coven saunders said covington will most likely be the day one starter at power forward and then he also followed that up by saying i also like andrew wiggins at the two so it's operating under the assumption of cat at the five covington at the four wiggins at the two t get the one helps inform my Opinion that of the five guys that we're going to go through, Jake Lehman, Jarrett Culver, Noah Vonley, Jordan Bell, Josh Kogi, that I believe it's going to be Jake Lehman who is is the day one starter in this group. And that's also a product of what some of the things that Rosas has said about Lehman over the course of the season. The one thing that stuck out to me that I put in my story was he said, Jake is going to be a player who makes our offense go. Really interesting quote. Really, right? really interesting quote. And because you can, I mean, to unpack that, uh, to me, that that talk that speaks to what I was talking about with Cat operating at the high post as that that fulcrum there, because how does Jake how does Jake Lehman make your offense go cutting if he but if he's just spotted up exclusively in the corner he doesn't you mm-hmm. can't make the offense go by being a three and D guy no by doing what the Timberwolves did and say mm-hmm. you be the guy who stands in the corner while Cat posts up instead of whoever it was mm-hmm. last year and and then also from you know saying our offense, I think that's interesting because he could have said makes offense go. And that could have, to me, that would have more suggested, you know, the second, you can make the second unit offense yeah. go. And, and or he's think, just kind of complimenting him for the sake of it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I don't know, that that stuck out to me. And, and Ryan also said, after he said, and Ryan's a guy you can, or <laughs> Andrew's a guy you, I like to play at the two. And he goes, and then you can plug in someone like Jake at the three and you're switching, you can switch all these different positions. So, I don't know. I think it seems to be that there's a lot of confusion who the fifth starter yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. But to me, I mean, if I'm, if I'm wagering anything, if we, we go through these five guys and there's, 
we'll get into that. I think it's going to matter who the opponent is. But you want to talk about opening night against Brooklyn, who is a team who has a big five and then small across the rest of the way. Like, I don't think they're going to need to start Noah Vonley or Jordan Bell. And my assumption will be that it's Jake Lehman. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I hope I'm not just copying you, but <laughs> I, I agree that I think it's going to be Jake Lehman for the reasons that you stated. Also, for the fact that he was the only one of these offseason acquisitions to sign a multi-year contract, yep. and I think that that really matters. But the way that he plays does make sense if he ha- if he's when he's successful because he's a very streaky player, especially you know his shooting. But when his shooting's on, he'd be a great fit on the offensive end next to Cap because. I looked this up. Uh, there were, he's just, um, let me find it. Okay. There were 92 players to cut more than one time, to, to register more than one possession per game as a cutter last year in more than 40 games. So players who played a lot and cut at least one time per game. And Lehman ranked 14th of 90 players by points per possession produced in those situations. And cuts. And cuts. 1.39 yeah. points per possession, which is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So, like, as we were talking about improving the scheme, that's one way to do it. And is, I'll, I'll add that Andrew Wiggins always fares well in that metric mm-hmm. the volume of the possessions he's doing it has always been low but it's yep. it's always kind of been the advanced that you can kind of latch on to yep. if he did more of this he was 1.35 yep. last year he was yep. up there as well he barely cleared the one cut per game threshold even mm-hmm. though he played 36 minutes a game but he did as well actually by far the most efficient cutter in the nba is jimmy butler 1.68 points per possession wow um but anyways, and That's when weird because I just pictured Jimmy not moving on offense. Yeah, he has the ball, but right. whatever. But then and for the times that Jake Lehman is shooting well and even just by virtue of the fact that he's willing to shoot a lot, that can be helpful, especially when it's going in. I mean, last year he shot 38 percent from three before the all star break, 22 percent after it. So it's like hope that you get that beginning, hope that you can find whatever the hitch was that made his shot go bad after the All-Star break. Well, he was taken out of the rotation. That's true. He got That's a lot. That's what he said. I mean, at, at his thing, I, I guess grain of salt because he said it, but he was asked at the uh, his pre- opening press conference, and he goes, I had this consistency of a role, and I think it's like he started some like 19 straight games for them, and then Mo Harkless came back, and it really, he really was in one of those – one of those roles where you he wasn't starting ever. You play some games, you don't play other games. And I can imagine for what he was a third year player last year, mm-hmm. second year, third year player, third year player. That's tough. Yeah. To to have that back and forth in, in that sort of capacity. Is that a fair excuse? I don't know. I personally don't think Jake Lehman. I mean, he, he is, shot 25 percent his rookie year and 20 percent his sophomore year from three. Yeah. And I mean, as we go through these guys and we if we talk about their their three-point shooting because it's I think it's there's some disparity in their numbers with Lehman and Culver and Vonley and the, I mean for me I'm not gonna behold be beholden to the the three points percentages that much I don't think the volume is there I don't think the consistency of the role is there for Lehman or for Culver or for Vonley and I, I'm gonna go judging by the shot and I'm not saying I'm some sort of shot doctor but for a lot of them I've watched all the three-point shots they've taken, or I've just watched Josh Okoge shoot a bunch in in practice, and I don't. That's going to better inform for me. That's how I'm going to inform myself of what the you know what the the three-point shooting yeah. is. I think that's 
a fair way to look at it. And I do agree that layman of those layman Culver Von Lay Okogie does have the cleanest shot and probably will demand the respect of a defense. You think layman has the cleanest shot of that? I do. I like I, I when I watch him play, I think he's he, he takes the same shot every time he shoots it so confidently. It's hmm. got a good arc. Who do I you get, think? I does? guess I just I'm more in the boat of I'm I'm not a big believer in the, the shot of Layman Von Lay and Okogie. And I, I believe that Jarrett Culver will be the best shooter of that group. Mm-hmm. And I know people are latching on to the 30% that, that he shot in college. I mean, I just, if you go and you watch those shots, it's, again, it's not a ton of shots. Mm-mm. And if you look, I mean, if you go, it'd be easy to go through some of those and just be like, this one shouldn't count. This one should count. Like, let's see what, he, let's see what he's like as a shooter. And I believe in, in his form there. And every time I read something or see something or hear something about, you know, Jarrett Culver really needs to address his shot. I, I, I mean, I really don't have a, a ton of concern about that in, about yeah, about that element of his game. That's interesting. I'm a little more concerned about it. I would. It's hard to say like he can't develop it, and I'm I'm not a shot doctor or nor a college basketball expert. Um, but I would, if I had to put my money on it, I would guess Jake Lehman has a higher three point percentage this year than Jarrett Culver. Anyways, I think that that's a it's it's good to go into it with open eyes. But I think that what you brought up about the defensive end slotting him in between Covington and Wiggins, mm-hmm. kind of along with that quote that Ryan Saunders has, does make some sense if this team wants to be more versatile on the defensive end. So, how do you feel about the size of that group? Uh, now, let's assume that it, obviously we got Cat and Teague, and then you kind of have these three, yeah, biggish wings. One mm-hmm. who is the de facto power forward. In Covington. Yeah, I think I, I like the size of the wing group and I like that they're similarly sized two through four. What I worry about until Carl Anthony Towns proves that he can both stay on the floor and defend bruisers is that Carl Anthony Towns is going to on some level be left out to dry, both by the fact that he's going to have to exert a lot more energy on the defensive end if they don't kind of situationally bring in like ha- literally have situational starters like based on the game, game by game by mm-hmm. game, which maybe they will, but maybe they won't. And so if Robert Covington is kind of always playing alongside Carl Anthony Towns, that might deliver even more foul yeah. trouble and even more bad defense. That, that, the, the foul trouble is totally a concern for me. We maybe get into that a little more when we get to Noah Vonley. But if we're just talking about height, which I know isn't, isn't like the best metric for measuring size, but if you look at Jake Lehman at the combine without shoes, uh-huh. it was 6'8". Yeah. So that if you look at other – that's the same height as Noah Vonley, who's someone who we, we talk about as – a big power. I mean, he's obviously weighs a lot more and is thicker, but you, he'd be a guy who'd be referred to as six nine, six ten. Mm-hmm. Like these are their anatomical measurements, yeah. not wearing shoes, like really, really measured. And for Jake Lehman, that's um, almost two inches taller than this is a list of guys who I think played some small ball power forward last year. Jamara Carroll, six six um, without shoes. Otto Porter, six seven and a half without shoes. Paul George, six seven point seven five without shoes. Now, granted, I think he's maybe grown a little bit since then. But uh, Andre Roberson, 6'6", six, six. Mo Harkless, 6'7", Al Farouk Aminu, 6'7", Aaron Gordon, 6'7 and a half, Tobias Harris, 6'6 six, six and a half. Those are, those are guys who, in this NBA, teams are like, yeah, we'll play him as a small ball, ball four. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jake Lehman, I mean, maybe that'll happen sometimes, but generally, Covington is going to be the small ball power forward. But if you have another guy of that size in that group, I think that helps some. Yeah. Now, Lehman has a shorter wingspan than every one of those guys I talked about. 
And most which of those maybe guys, maybe that's more even more important than their height. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that, but Jake Lehman is not small, no. and he's certainly not unathletic. No, uh, he's. I think both of those those two things in watching him play will really pop. His athleticism. His, oh my god. His his athleticism, and then he's big. I mean, yeah. standing next to him, he's he's a, he's a big dude. Do you think he's got the girth that? most of the Aaron Gordon, Tobias no. Harris, Mo Harkless. No. And that's kind of what holds Andrew Wiggins back, too, because in an Andrew Wiggins world, is that size, too. He should be on the Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is 6'8 without shoes. As also. his career progresses, should become a small ball four. Or that'd be ideal. Or somebody who could do that, mm-hmm. you know, in spot Kind of like, minutes. remember when Jimmy slid into that in the exactly. playoffs? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that would be ideal for Andrew Wiggins. Right. But so I do think that that girth. But that's what I'm saying. That's three guys. It. That's yeah. three, like, I, big wings, which is if you're going to go small power forward, that beats the alternative of going. I mean, the, uh, uh, literally, the other options are Okogi, who's five inches shorter than than Layman, or or Culver, who's three inches shorter than Layman. Like, that's that makes it like a little bit more palatable to go as small as you're going at power forward. Is yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I agree with that, and and that's another reason why I think Layman's got the the, the leg, leg up, up in this race. And we'll see. I. I I think it's going to change, and that kind of leads us into Jarrett Culver, who, um, as an option, would be the player development player of the group. And the the real comparison that I would make for from last year for the the progression I see Culver taking is Colin Sexton. Um, last year with Cleveland, he was the eighth overall pick, and the first ten games of the season, he came off the bench. George Hill was there, mm-hmm. uh, and and they started Hill, and then for the next seventy two games. Sexton started all those. I could see something like that happening where Lehman starts initially and then and then it moves into more of, you know, all right, let's Culver's ready now. Let's let's have him, even if he's maybe a slightly worse option. I don't know, maybe he's the best option. Who, Who we'll knows? see. Yeah. But even if he is a slightly, you know, lesser option, it it makes sense to invest in if you really believe that. Cat and Culver are a big part of this future. Four years down the road from now, the the only players you have under contract are Towns, Culver, and Wiggins. And I think it's Wiggins lasting that long is unlikely. So that probably. leaves us probably, I mean, the two most likely players to be on this team three, four years from now, I would say, are Jerk Culver and Carl Anthony Towns. So invest in that now. That makes some sense to me. Yeah. Let him be the starter. Throw him to the Wolves. <laughs> I think that brings up the important point that this doesn't necessarily mean whoever starts is going to, you know, get 31 and a half minutes a game no matter what. Like, I could see Jake Lehman starting and playing 21 minutes a game. I could see Jared. But there's like a, there's like a group of normal teams. It's like a, a normal game where the team isn't massive. Mm-hmm. That you just have like a your general starting lineup, yep. and that's like that's what I'm talking. Like Layman is the starter in that yep. one, or Culver if they make that move. Yeah, eventually there's just going to be big teams where you, you can't. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to start Culver. You'd need to go Vonley, I think. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I don't even know what like the name of that is. But in a normal game, yeah, the starter, just a typical game. Yeah, I think Culver is going to be so interesting because I agree with you. I'll be surprised if he's starting starting for the Timberwolves to begin the 2019-20 season. But I'm excited to see what he can do because he does – we're going to get to Josh Okogie later, but there's a world where he kind of 
offers what Josh Okogie can and more mm-hmm. by by virtue of the fact that he may not be as stout as Okogie right away on the defensive end, but it seems likely that he won't be awful. Right. And he has shown a lot more on the offensive end. So I kind of see a world where any sort of uh, desire to veer toward Josh Okogie would just make you say, you know, why don't we just start Jarrett Culver? Right. And, some- and it's also that's the guy who Rosa's picked. Yeah. Like, absolutely. That's a whole element of a Kogi and Kata Bates Diab where we're like, I mean, Josh had a great year. Mm-hmm. And I would say Kata for the 48th overall pick had a really good year too. But they were selected by Thibodeau. And that, I mean, in all sports, we, we know that's a thing. It's the, the GMs go with their guys more. They inv- invest in them further. How much autonomy Rosas has over the rotation specifically and that sort of way. I don't know. It's a, it's a mark against a Kogi and a strike in strike a strike in Culver's favor yeah sure. I, I would yeah. say yeah the the thing though that I'm just going off of is is that from the from the last two drafts those guys drafted between fifth and ninth if you take out Mobamba was the sixth pick last year and was had a really bad year and he got injured and he was on a team with a million big men he started only one game and the, the year before that Frank Nilakina was the the bust of that group if you take those two guys out then you have Trey Young, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Jonathan Isaac, Lauren Markinen, and Dennis Smith Jr. Of those guys, fifth through ninth picks, they started 89% of their games as a rookie. Mm. That I mean, yeah. for Culver to be less than that would be a suggestion that he's moving towards the Bamba Nilakina range. Yeah. Like, those are very like polarizing things. I do think that the Timberwolves, whether it's right or not, have way loftier aspirations than almost any of the teams who drafted okay, those but players. Kinda. Like the Timberwolves objectively are like projected to be a 35 win team. Like, yeah. That's bad. That's but that's not, not their asp the, their aspirations are to at least start the year okay. competing. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that's I think they will do that yeah. with, with Layman. I'm just saying I could see it moving towards them being a team that is like I mean, not as bad as like like the Hawks last year. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, yeah, we're gonna just play our younger guy. Yeah. And agreed. I just historically that happens more. That is, that is the argument for, from a, from like a future perspective. Yeah. That's the argument for Culver. My point was more that if if something happens where you know the Timberwolves throughout the year are kind of on a five hundred pace, like oh, we're all yeah. performing sure. expectations, we've got a chance. Then play the best guy. Then then I think they'll play the best guy. Because Culver can still play twenty exactly. minutes if Layman's playing twenty eight. Like, and regardless of the success that he has, he's going to be in the Nilakina mm-hmm. bucket, and that might not have as much to do with him as it does for that's Frank good Nilakina. That's good t- context. Yeah. I think there's a whole basketball argument to be made that Culver should start, that mm-hmm. it's the best option for the team, and that he's of Lehman and Akogi and Bell and Vonley. He's far and away the best ball handler mm-hmm. of the group, and he can initiate offense. Mm-hmm. And if they are, in fact, going to be a team that prioritizes you know, a heavy dose of, of pick and roll and multiple ball handlers, then playing Jared Culver makes that they will do that. Yeah. And, and he... That, that's a limited group. You you mentioned it with your like one thought thing. It's like, who who are the who are the lead ball handlers that this group has right now? Teague, Napier, and Wiggins. They need Culver mm-hmm. to 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 be that sort of guy. We can call it the point guard. We can call it whatever. Like, if they're running an offense that requires 
two lead ball handlers or Grant, even one that they want to have that has three guys out there who can who can initiate offense, Culver's got to play a lot mm-hmm. and then probably even start if that's if that's a priority for the way you're going to shape your offensive scheme and identity. He's he's the best option. Yeah. And I on the offensive end, yeah. And I um I don't think that Jarrett Culver based on the digging I've done into his game. I don't think that right away he's a super athletic guy. He's got great hops, but w- when you watch his college tape, his first step doesn't like jump off the 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 computer screen or whatever. I can't imagine him being the, you know, kind of ball handling option 1A in an offense and, and blowing by guys in the pick and roll to kind ever? of... Ever? I shouldn't... No, not never. No, I, I know, not but, ever. But I mean, I guess the reason I say that is I, I have kind of the same opinion on that, but he strikes me as a guy who three years into the league... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking... I'm, I'm saying this. Right, year. right. I just... That's kind of my, like... Mm-hmm. That's like the the diamond in the rough element of mm-hmm. him is where he's... It's kind of like Oladipo where it's like body shift change and boom, you're, do, you're bringing something... That is a player that was very different than you were your rookie year, or certainly on, on your college tape. And there, there's a lot of physical potential, yes, like to be earned by him because it doesn't he doesn't he doesn't stand out as as a dynamic athlete right mm-hmm. now. And I I I totally agree with that. I've written about that. I think that's kind of his calling card if he's going to live up to the sixth overall pick potential. It's because that playmaking comes along and he can be that combo guard who's got a lot of size and is good mm-hmm. and switchable on the defensive end but can also dribble the ball well and be a pick and roll ball handler. But this season I have a hard time imagining it right away translating. And to your point, it's a developmental play like he just it'd be helpful for him to get those reps, but What's more, he probably wouldn't play that much without a Jeff Teague or a Shabazz Napier. So I do see him being able to have success, like catching the ball once the offense breaks down, when somebody is closing out on him and creating offense that way because he can be impressive in the sense that he can get to the rim almost, this isn't to compare the two players, but like Jimmy Butler does where he navigates through traffic and just gets up into the air not knowing what Mm -hmm. he's going to do and then still finds a way to either make an acrobatic finish or find somebody rolling to the basket or, you know, get around the baseline and get the ball over to the corner for a three-point shooter. He is a dynamic playmaker in that sense. So I can see that being really successful. I think that's born out of belief in yourself and belief belief in that element of your game. And that's very much to me. And that's also something I, you know, I see in Jared, obviously at a, at a young age, he, he kind of knows that's where his offensive bread has been buttered. And, and he, He's not one of those guys who he may be somewhat methodical in getting to the rim, but he knows he's getting to mm-hmm. the rim. It's not like one of those where you catch and you're like turning your head back and forth and like, wait, do I go now? Yeah. Like it's it's the decision to attack is decisive, even if the motion itself is somewhat meandering to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's that first it's that first instinct that all yeah. the great creators do have. Yeah. And that's a good starting point. Totally. I also think one other thing that might make it hard for him is he college defense has really respected his willingness to shoot, and that is just not going to be the case if he's a pick-and-roll ball handler in the NBA. No one's going to fight over a screen to stick with Jarrett Culver, at least not until he's right. shooting 37% from deep, you know, 30 games into the season. It's an adjustment for the, the, length, of cl- the length with which players can close out. They can go under screens in the NBA – and it can be like those yeah. guys I was listening off, like Damari Carroll or Andre Roberson, where it's like, okay, they're still 
quick and long and will can still contest your shot even if they go under mm-hmm. under that screen. So is that that's always kind of a gray area for a rookie, a ball yeah. handler. I think it's a big reason why a lot of times you see point guards struggle with their shot yeah. in their, in their that's first a good season. Point. Um, but like you said, it's a, a big part of it would be a developmental thing. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to Vonley. Whereas if Culver's starting Culver is a development play, Vonley is a size play. Um, he is on a one-year deal and maybe isn't like part of the future for sure in a, a strict sense is an expiring contract. Um, but he's, he's the big, he's the big option of, of the guys where foul trouble is an issue for cat D- defending a lot of the best centers in the league is an issue for cat and defensive rebounding has been an issue for this team. Cat's entire career. Not that cat's necessarily bad at that. They've never been, they've never been good at that. But in, in Noah Vonley, you're adding a guy who's six eight with an over seven foot four wingspan and weighs two hundred and fifty pounds. It did as a nineteen year old when he was drafted. He he's huge, and and there's going to be just there's going to be times where they need that. And his he was a, a top fifteen defensive rebounder in the league last year in defensive rebounding rate, yep. and that was a big reason why he he pops in some of those advanced metrics like defensive RPM. So it's a it's a play for for size that helps the defense by being able to rebound at a high level. Yep. And I, I, ju- I just think that's that's the reason that you you go with him, and I think he'll start a lot of games this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that he is not to co- – he's the Taj Gibson replacement in, in a lot of ways. Right. And what's interesting about that is Taj was like the big-bodied center that Cat played next to last year, mm-hmm. so you would have thought maybe that's when they defensive rebound well, when they've got Taj out there too. But Noah Vonley's defensive rebounding rate last year was 26%. Taj Gibson's was 18%. Yeah, so like, huge difference. Yeah, because when you look at it, it's like the Wolves grabbed something like 49% of rebounds last year when Cat's on the floor, so just slightly below 50%, which like you'd want to grab more than half of them in an ideal world. Um, but... It's, if you add a Noah Vonley into that, and also if you add a Jarrett Culver into that, who's a good rebounding guard, then you can really start to make a defense. And like Tom Thibodeau always said, and like coaches always say, de- like rebounding wins championships. Mm-hmm. Like you need to, f- <laughs> Thibodeau got pissed about it so much. Yeah. Like we just need to finish off the possession with the rebound. Classic table pile. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it would just kind of be interesting to see a lineup that like can really grab a lot of rebounds. It's the the comparison I'm making is Derek Favors mm. and what uh, what he was to Utah the the past years. Again, Vonley six eight without shoes, seven four wingspan, two fifty. Derek Favors six eight and a half, seven four wingspan, two forty five. I mean, they're the same shape. Yeah, and and that is. I, I think Derek Favors is a very high IQ player and understood that his role was so much about supporting Rudy Gobert, which we sometimes you don't think about that. Like, Rudy Gobert might be the best defensive player in the league. But but sometimes what unleashes a player to be the best defensive player in the league is faith in the person they have behind them, particularly the guy closest, you know, closest to them. I think Derek Favors is a, is a huge part of what made Gobert an elite defensive center. I think he'll be a big part of what helps Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson's, you know, entering the NBA experience in that way. And that's because he was big enough to to fill that void, but agile enough to yeah to to be able to rebound and to mm-hmm. be able to handle 
multiple positions. He's not one of those guys guarding one through five. But that to me, that's the dream s- scenario for Noah Vonley. There's a reason Favors is making like six, 16 yeah. million and and Vonley's making two. Yeah. It's it, you're gonna be a poor man's version of that. But but that's the guy. And there's gonna just gonna be teams where they need him. They just they're gonna need him to be to play. Or or Bell. And we we'll we'll get to Bell, but but Vonley is a lot bigger than Jordan Bell. A lot. And we talk about the team, I mean, you brought up Tosh Gibson. Tosh Gibson guarded Nikola Jokic. He guarded he guarded Andre Drummond. They didn't put Cat on on that big guy anymore. And right now, by default, it looks like well, Cat's just going to be the center guarding the other centers. Well, we know it, it, there's a strong track record of Cat not being able to handle that from a foul trouble mm-hmm. perspective. And Cat's not an elite, just you know, a defending a back to the basket center in that sort of way player. So Vonley could make a big difference there. Yeah, and I th- I think that Derek favors comparison is also apt because forever it was favors and gobert starting at the four and the five for the jazz just like it's been with carl anthony towns and gorgie jang or kevin garnett or taj gibson or whoever it was and then kind of as quinn snyder like slowly started to become a more or let's say implement a more modern style it became like how can we start joe jay crowder or like how can we bring favors off of the bench and play him in situations when it's really going to maximize him. Yeah, when it's needed. When it's needed. Instead Not just, of just because he's the only option. Yeah, or because maybe he's your best quote-unquote four yeah. or power forward. Mm-hmm. But that's another way that that's, I think that that's an interesting parallel. So I listed the, the good teams that are huge in the NBA this year. And there is a lot. Philadelphia, Embiid and Horford, Toronto, Gasol and Siakam, San Antonio, Aldridge and Pirtle, Detroit, Griffin and Drummond, Denver, Millsap, and Jokic, Indiana, Simonis, and Turner, Los Angeles, the Lakers with Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, whoever starts there, Milwaukee with the Tetacumpo and Lopez, and Portland with Zach Collins and Whiteside or Nurkic. That's nine nine teams right there. Mm-hmm. Is that, Siakam a huge four? This is a tangent. I mean, he's, yeah, I guess he's, he is a great rebound. I mean, yeah. That, I mean, and it's, a great it, defender. It's, it's being able to stop those those bigs from what they do best, or at least at least slow them down. Yeah, that's it's different. Like Siakam versus Sabonis, those are those are different things you need to account yeah, for. Yeah, but I think those are those are both players that would be accounted for by Noah Vonley because Vonley would be able to handle Sabonis in the post better, and Vonley would be able to rebound better against Siakam. Mm-hmm. And I think that just makes them a necessity to play yeah. against those nine teams. And then there's the four other ones, the bad teams. The the cat Cleveland has Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. That's huge. Memphis has Jaron Jackson and Valanciunas. Phoenix has Dario Saric and, and DeAndre Ayton. And the Knicks have Robinson and Julius Randle. So we're up to like half of the league now. That's 13 teams. That's 13 teams. I don't know if those bad teams will be able to force their hand enough to need to do it. You kind of hope not. Yeah, like against the Knicks, like I, I hope that Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle aren't I hope the Knicks aren't doing anything to force the Wolves to do anything because mm-hmm. they're bad. Yeah. Well, and it's worth mentioning that's kind of what Rosas has said throughout this mm-hmm. preseason is like, obviously there are times where you have to adjust based on your opponent, but in an ideal world, they're going to adjust mm-hmm. to you because the way that, you know, you could say that some of those teams might need to go small because the Timberwolves yep. are going to be fast and mm-hmm. they're going to be quick. And Right. But, you know. It's, all in all, though, that's 13 teams and those 13 teams I went through, they play the 36 of the Wolves 82 games. Hmm. So that's literally almost half the season. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, those are all massive teams. And does Noah Vonley have to start every one of those? No, but I think he's got to start a lot of them. 
I just don't I don't know particularly of the nine good teams where you cut that down it's like 26 <laughs> I I'd be surprised if he doesn't start yeah over 20 games and which some sounds weird because mixing and matching your starting lineups when you're healthy isn't necessarily normal yeah but when they're trying to shift their style of play as much as they are there just is going to be need going to be times to compensate and both Rosas and Saunders have acknowledged that yeah which to me is an acknowledgement that yeah sometimes we're gonna have to start Noah Vonley yeah it'll be fascinating to watch because like you're saying it's it's not something that you see very often teams change their starting lineups because of injuries or because somebody's playing better than somebody else or whatever but you I feel like it's just not as common I mean it happens to see it like night in and night out like tonight we're starting this team tomorrow night or this lineup tomorrow night it's that lineup and that would be super fascinating to see so it, I, I wonder if Rosas would rather do that or would rather just, stick just with start it. Covington and take him out after two or Saunders I should say I was gonna say isn't it funny <laughs> that you're saying Rosas would, <laughs> would uh take Covington out after two minutes if it's going poorly or just no matter what take him out after two yeah. minutes which that doesn't seem smart like why would you do that instead of just right. starting the person like you're yeah. just wasting two minutes but who knows it, it will be again something we learned the, yeah. the fourth game of the year is against Philadelphia who is so big crazy I'm so excited to watch that how, team how do you <laughs> how do you how do you compensate for that team I mean I get you match girth with girth or, or are you just trying to outrun them I mean it's do you start Jarrett Culver not start Jeff Teague so that's let's let's move on to Josh Kogi. Yeah. I think a Kogi makes sense to take that Philadelphia example specifically. Now, he's the shortest of all these guys, so it sounds weird. But I think against Philadelphia, you could start Josh Kogi in this Lehman, Von Lehman, whatever, the fifth starter role. And then you could put a Kogi on Ben Simmons, who's like 6'10, mm-hmm. but at the point of attack, a Kogi there. And then you could, then you don't have to use Covington in that spot. Because if it's not a Kogi, you've got to put Covington. On Ben Simmons, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know what else you would no. do there. So if it's Kogi, then then you're able to hide Teague and Josh Richardson. It's not gonna. He's not hide. Well, I mean, I know, I know what you mean. It's it's the the best of bad options. But Josh Richardson, Josh Richardson's a really good player. Yeah, he's a really good player, but he's not gonna necessarily like bruise him in the paint. No. I mean, it's it's making the best of a bad situation. Exactly. And then you can put Wiggins on Tobias Harris. Can leave Covington on Horford and Cat on Embiid. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's, you're still you're basically just, just screwed in, in that game, period. They're just going to post up Ben Simmons. But I I, I don't I don't hate Josh Kogi's, like as a post defender. No, but I mean, he, that's six inches. Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just... And that would be... You'd probably be happy if but that's that would what... But that would be sticking to your identity. Because yep. then you're like, all right, we're, we're kind of compensating for them, but this group, we're still going to play fast. Yeah. Because we got now we have a Kogi, and we're going... We're going Teague, Okogi, Wiggins, Covington, Cat. Like, yeah, you guys might bruise us a little bit, but I'm when you don't, when we slow, we're gonna we're gonna outrun you down the, the yeah. other side of the floor. And Horford and Embiid are are getting left in the dust by Covington and Cat. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the idea. Yep. Uh I don't know. I mean, that that's kind of, I don't know. I guess that isn't even the main argument for Kogi. The main argument for Kogi is just defense. He's the best defender of the group. Yeah. And this team has stunk at defense every single year. Or, and I, since Wiggins came in, Wiggins is rookie year 30th in defensive rating. Cat's rookie year 28th in defensive rating. Tibbs' first season, the following year, 27th in defensive rating. The full Butler season, 25th in defensive rating. And last year, somehow, was actually their best dif- defensive rating year ever or of this era when they were 24th. <laughs> but 24th is bad. Yeah. 
24th is really bad. The, t- the, the six teams that were right behind them were Cleveland, Phoenix, Atlanta, Washington, New York, and Chicago. And those teams, on average, won 23 games. Yeah. So if we're thinking that the Wolves might be more of an average offense this year, maybe not elite in that sort of way. I mean, that Butler year, they're 25th in defense rating, but fourth in oh. offensive rating. I, I mean, I don't think the offense is going to be able to get to that level. So if you're dropping towards the middle and you're not pulling the defense back up, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be a 23 win team, but you're more. Yeah. You're certainly going to you're going to slide closer to 23 than you are to the what were the Wolves when they made the playoffs? 46, 47, 47. Yep. Like, it's. Defense needs to be addressed in this group. Yeah. And I think it's more largely addressed by a better scheme and one that the players can execute. But Josh Okoge is your best fifth starting option of, of the guys. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Just in a vacuum, the best defensive option. I have the same thing written down in my notes. If the front office is just confident that the, the offense has a good baseline, then what you need to do is drag the defense along. Um, but this just popped into my head. Based on the kind of the size conversation that we had earlier, and if we're assuming that Robert Covington is playing at the four next to Carl Anthony Towns, are you 100% like sure that a Teague, Okogie, Wiggins, Covington, Towns lineup is better defensively than Teague, Wiggins, Lehman, Covington, Towns, just because of the size that Lehman provides the lineup? Like you, you're really getting small. If Okogie, and it, maybe Okogie doesn't play that much smaller, but uh, that's probably what my counter would be to that. I, I don't have a, I'm not going to pound on the table. Yeah. This is, is way better, but I mean, for, I think I'm pretty harsh on what I believe about where Josh can go offensively as a player. I don't have, I've said many times I'm concerned about the shot and how that ever makes him an average or above average offensive player. But I think he did it as a rookie. He did it as a rookie um, with a lot of these guys of uh, the cats, two man lineups, the guys he played a lot with, his best defensive rating came with the Kogi. Mm-hmm. Of Wiggins' two best, best two-man lineups, his best lineup was with the Kogi. Kogi, we, we know, is a good individual defender, and in the sample we have of his one season, he brought he raised the product of the entire team's defense up with him. I would rely on that and believe in that more than I would have faith that Jake Lehman's additional five inches of height makes a difference. Kogi has a longer wingspan than him. Yeah, that's well, actually about like well said. four inches, yeah. which is really weird. Layman's five inches taller than him, but has a four inches shorter wingspan. Like, you those know, are just really different shaped humans. You know who's got the longest wingspan to their height? Jeff Teague. His wingspan is six eight. Dude, you've seen his arms, man. His arms are huge. I know, but He's, like, God, just try on defense, Kata, man. Kata's Kata does too. Seven three, right? Real long. Yeah, yeah. that's I and. Honestly, I would uh, love to really, like, talk to a lot of coaches and say, like, we're obsessed with wingspan, but I would, like, listen to them have a conversation about the importance of that versus height versus um, weight or strength in in that sort of capacity, because maybe we kind of overrate wingspan, maybe we, maybe under, I I don't know. Maybe we overrate height. Maybe we overrate height. I think we definitely overrate height. Yeah. Because you're not blocking a ball with your head. Like, <laughs> it's true. Like standing reach. Like, we're not even talking about standing reach. That's probably the most relevant of all of them because yeah. it incorporates a fusion of, of the two. Yeah. I'm not super concerned about a Kogi's height, so I think that's what makes him a better um, a better defensive unit. The yeah. best defensive unit they can put out of these five. I don't think it's going to be 
what we see. I think he's going to be a bench player. I do think, yeah, if, if Okogi was starting, it would be a huge sign that the front off or that the front office and coaching staff have seen something from him in training camp and over the course of the summer that, like, yeah, we buy that there are offensive improvements there. Like, that would be a huge endorsement, I I think, of what Okogi has done since last Krasinski's, season. Uh, Krasinski's rotation column had Okogi as a starter, as the fifth starter, and, and he's as wired as as anyone i mean i i'm more more to, wired than anyone yeah would need to you know talk to him about how much of that was guess versus informed. Yeah. but i would bet that that was partially informed yeah and uh one interesting thing i was thinking about with okogi starting is that i don't think the fact that he provides so much energy is going to be as much of an as as hmm. much of an advantage from this year just because guys like jake layman and Jarrett culver are energy guys as well Whereas last year the the alternative is like an Anthony Tolliver or like a, you know, Luol right. Deng or whatever. Sure. And like he doesn't quite stand his, out as his much. His youth won't stand out as yeah. much in, in that in that way. Like yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Hard to kind of put, put words to it, but I, yeah. I I know what you mean. I again I mentioned it before. How in how how into Josh Okogie is this regime? I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's it seems like everyone's into Josh Okogie because he's really. Fun to watch. He had a good rookie season. Definitely like such a good guy. Good guy. I mean, he was drafted 20th overall, and for redrafting that draft, he probably goes like 10th, 7th. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, something like that. Like, um, he's had a good career thus far, but he is a player who has holes. And do those holes fit into this system? I to be determined. Yep. Uh, last one, Jordan Bell. The way I put it with Jordan Bell to start, it would be a fusion of the Vonley idea on size and a Kogi idea on defensive versatility. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't pay a lot of mind to the idea that Jordan Bell would maybe be a starter on this team or even consider him uh, before his press conference. But hearing those guys rave about him and then having some conversations with people, it he's higher on the totem pole than I expected the day that he. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a guy who he signed for the minimum. Yeah, he signed a one year minimum deal. He's twenty three. Yeah, like that. It, it he could play, but it's a he signed a a bad deal for him. Mm-hmm. It's it's the lo- least amount of money he could sign for, and because it was only a one year deal, and it's his third year in the league, it makes him a restricted free agent next season. So meaning the, that wherever he goes and signs a contract, the Wolves will have the chance to match it. The restricted free agency limits your market the next summer. Yep. So that just in a vacuum suggests he did not have a big market. Now, the other side, somebody would say on your other shoulder would be like, well, maybe he was guaranteed some sort of role here and he really wanted to be a part of this because it was his best opportunity. Maybe, but there are not, there are not many guys in the league who sign a minimum deal to go to a different team and and play a lot. I mean, last year, this is the list. These are the guys who started 15-plus games that signed for a minimum. JaVale McGee with the Lakers, Noah Vonley, actually, with the Knicks, Jeff Green, Wizards, Ryan Archidiakono with the Bulls, Kevin Looney with the Warriors, Kenrich Williams with the Pelicans, Trevion Graham hmm. with the Brooklyn Nets, and Royce O'Neal with the Jazz. That's eight guys Yeah, that started over 15 games. They weren't, like, the starter. They just started some. So it, it's it's very rare that some someone in Jordan Bell's contract situation would be a starter. That said, I could see it. I could see it. He's he's going to come into camp as the most versatile big man. If they really do want to switch, 
as much as maybe they want to switch, it's going to make that he would be the guy. Yeah. To plug in there, and that it really would be a you could against some of those bigger teams. You could say, well, now we actually have like a center size bot. I mean, he's just big. He's not actually huge, but he's a, a bigger body. We're not going to get banged in this game, and we can and we can still play with the pace we want to play with. I mean, he. I think what makes the difference is if he really can be the player who's able to grab a rebound and take the ball yeah. for himself or create any sort of offense for himself. Then yeah, he deserves to be the starter. That's the most exciting group. part about Jordan Bell to me. But that he hasn't done that in his career. Only like, like I mean, he just said it. He just said he can do that. Like yeah. that I, maybe he can, and maybe he was never asked to do that in Golden State. But that did not happen in Golden State. Playmake or get out Playmake. and run. Playmake himself. Yeah. Oh get out yeah, and run yeah. Himself as the guy. I mean, there were if you, there are certainly highlights out there of him grabbing a board and taking it coast to coast. Yeah, but it's not something that happened with consistency. It was not to the extent that they've suggested could happen or that he. Suggested, I mean, he talked about being Lamar Odom. Like, he did at the press conference. And I know it's like kind of hyperbolic and you just give examples, but if he is, if he can do that, he should start. He's These are not good players that he's, as of right now. Yeah. Jake Lehman is a guy who signed for almost the minimum. Yep. Von Le minimum. I mean, Jerk Culver's a rookie. Josh Okogie is not super mad. I mean, if you can be the best defensive big man on this team on a team that stinks at defense next to Cat, who historically has not been very good at defense, and you can be offensively impactful, he should definitely start. I'm just skeptical yeah. that that's going to be his reality. Yeah, and I'm skeptical of what offensively impactful means, even if he does. He, he's a good dribbler for a big man, and he's really fast, and he has great quick twitch muscles. But I'm skeptical of how much that can even translate to offensive success, even if there are great highlights, great two-man game with there him There will be. He'll have highlights, you know, and this year too. But but I'm skeptical of that general yeah. fit in the offense. I do think, though, if they say, like, we want to switch and we want to get out and run, that's the only world where, in my mind at least, Jordan Bell starts. He's the one who I'd be probably the most surprised yeah. about if they started game one. This is the, the question I have him with defense with him defensively, and I, I went through those nine good big teams that have the big play. Like the, San, can can is Jordan Bell making a difference in being able to slow down the size of the San Antonio Spurs of Pirtle and Aldrich? Does he like is he a big body who is able to slow them down in a noticeable way more than Covington would? Because that's like the opportunity cost there. Mm -hmm. Because if not, Vonley, yes, because he's a lot big. I mean, he's a, he's bigger. He's going to be able to hand handle Portal more. I I don't I don't know how big that that gap is, because I I, I just haven't seen that a lot from him. And the, schematically, the Warriors are so weird. It's I don't I don't have a good idea of what I think Jordan Jordan Bell is. So that just kind of leaves me, yeah, needing to see it. I'm in the same boat. I'm just really ready to be surprised about how well Jordan Bell maybe fits with yeah. these wolves because I don't totally see it, but I think that there are some like things about him that could make him a good fit, and if it all kind of clicks right, it could be really interesting, and I would love to be surprised And, and from a it. team perspective, it's great. You, you sign this dude for the least amount of money you could, and you have his restricted rights. That's great. Yeah. Like They could keep Jordan Bell in, of this group inherently becomes the second most likely player to be on the team like of the free agents they signed. He's more likely to return the Noah Vonley. He's a mm -hmm. restricted free agent. That's mm -hmm. just how it works. Oh, I yeah, mean, of everyone they brought in last year? Totally. Yeah, like that That makes a difference. So, I I mean, it, it's it's good he's on the team. It's just would be 
out of the norm to have him be a starter. Yeah. And I'm not ruling it out, though. I'm literally <laughs> not ruling out any of these. No. Five, and I think there's... Are you ruling out everyone else on the roster, though? I think so. Yeah. Can you make a... Do you, I don't think you can make a case for Shabazz Napier. I mean... No. Gorgie? No. Those big teams? <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of throwing it out there, too. I think it'll be one of these five. I, I do, too. I Gorgie would be the one where I could see it being impactful to be able to guard Jokic or guard, uh, you know, Drummond or something like that in, in a way where, like, we, we just can't have Carl get three fouls in the first half again. Yeah. And we think, you know, Gorgie protects some of that. Mm-hmm. He was the guy, I remember, a game at the end of the season, uh, Taj Gibson was, was guarding Jokic because they it was clearly a mandate that Cap would not. And Taj picked up his 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 third foul in, in the first half. And, you know, we're sitting there right by the bench. And, and Ryan goes, goes Gorgie and he slaps on the buddy. He says, you got Jokic. Like, and that's because at least on that team last year, he was the, he was the next option to be the big who can guard. Cause maybe that faith in cat to do that changes mm-hmm. this year. It's not that cat can't do it, but, it's a risk that he gets yeah, the fouls. That's such a good anecdote, and it's really interesting context when you think about what Cat improving on the defensive end could mean for the Wolves because it's not only just that he's a better defender and that's inherently mm-hmm. good for your team, but also you don't have to do those things anymore. You don't have to play Gorgie Jang or Taj Gibson. You can just play Robert Covington at the yep. four like almost every night. Mm-hmm. That It's just what that would do for this team mm-hmm. is amazing. Right. Does it matter who the fifth starter is? Uh, to who? Matter to who? I don't know. Matter to me? No. Well, I, matter I, to the players? Definitely. I think it's a status. Thing. Yeah. Like it, and so I think it matters because it does matter to the players. And I think it matters to like the. It's a signal, you know, and that matters. Yeah, I agree. With um, that. I, I'm more interested in this in the way that it's like, okay, if it's Bell, then that changes the rotation to be this and this, or Okogi and this and that. Like, I guess I'm I'm more looking at the like the next puzzle pieces that come in line after it, but just on a super basic level, it's like, who's your starting five? Yeah. You know, like yeah. that, that's, that's something. Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked yeah. about this, but it matters to me in the sense that it will just be, it will open the window to show us what this summer was true, what the summer yeah. was. Yeah. And what really Rosas and Saunders care about, because we've gotten a lot of lip service, but like, actions over words like Mm -hmm. they've said themselves like this will be and like we've said player by player like if it's layman like there's really a focus on this offense and how we can change what the offense a little bit more veteran a little bit of playoff push if it's if it's culver it's it's that development development and saying we need multiple ball handlers on the floor i Mm -hmm. think that's that's the signal there if it's monley it's like yeah we I mean, we want to try Covington at the four, but it's going to be a little bit more of a gimmick. We we need we just need the size out mm-hmm. there because we need the size. And if it's a Kogi, I think it's just saying defense is a priority because we've been you know we've been bad at that. And if it's Bell, maybe it's this whole super switch thing yep. is real. Yeah. And those are kind of the those are five pretty different arguments. Yeah. For all of them, which leads me to believe that it's going to be opponent dependent. You know and. Guess and check, and as they should. Don't lock into one thing. It's 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 a, one of those interesting, possibly antiquated sports totally. things that you have to start the same team every night. Yeah, that, right. Like, this cohesion is really what's 
like going to help mm-hmm. your lineup like succeed? M- maybe, maybe not. Right. Uh, okay, that's all we got on the starting five. We're, we are going to be um, back next week, and we're going to now go position by position, kind of just looking at those players, digging into them. We're going to start with the bigs, which is Cat and Vonley, Bell, Jang, and Nas. Uh, we're going to leave Covington and Layman out of that just to kind of break yeah. it up as five, five, five positionally. Um, so that's going to be coming. And after that, obviously, wings and, and guards. Until then, it would be uh, helpful if you're getting into the, whenever you are listening to this, if it's September 13th or October 2nd, because you're ready to get back into Timberwolves, if you could just share this podcast yeah. with your friend. I mean, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you've got like a group message with like three or four people where you like <laughs> go a little too deep into like, Oh, what about Kata? Like <laughs> seven three wings fan. You just text him about that. I mean, I got that group message. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> um, share the podcast. Have those guys. Uh, have those guys listen. I mean, those those are the people I want to listen to this podcast. Guys and gals. You're right. <laughs> um, those are the people I want to listen. I think hopefully those are the, the the conversations you know we're trying to have, and you know that goes a long way for us. And you know, getting the podcast more and more traction and listeners, and we've that's been happening or it did last year. So we want even more of that this year. And then obviously the other way to do that is um, by sharing it on social or just uh, rating and reviewing it on iTunes because we haven't recorded for the past month. It's been a while since we had a rating or review. Uh, If you can do that, that kind of whatever it does to the iTunes algorithm, will make that pop back up there. And we're going for a hundred. We're going for hundred. What the hundred reviews. There you go. Yeah. Or ratings, not reviews, ratings. We're going for hundred. How about a hundred new reviews? Oh, <laughs> well, we're at 71 total right now. Okay, okay. Well, I, I need to be better about asking people to do that. <laughs> in all honesty, I don't think I've ever done that for another podcast I listen to, so it's kind of hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to like <laughs> I'm gonna totally write an awesome review for the low post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally you go. Needs That'll that. really make a difference. Um, yeah, so if you could do that, share it up, get excited for the Timberwolves season, and uh, we'll be back uh, doing this all year again. Come October, moving to to twice a week with not only Charlie, but Britt Robson will be here in a consistent, yeah, consistent role, I guess. And that's that's sweet. He's we're young, Britt's old. Yeah. He, he would admit that, <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a cool fusion of dynamics. So we're excited to have them. Him, both of you, everyone. And we're gonna have we're gonna try and have some of the other beat guys come on, like Chris and Jace and Krasinski, and we'll the season's here. We'll get a lot get a lot of these done. It's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah, until then, follow Charlie and I on Twitter. We will be having more and more Timberwolf stuff coming out now because we're thinking you maybe care about basketball now. It's like <laughs> September. Um, so check that out. Charlie's at C John's MBA on Twitter. I'm at Dane Moore MBA. Until next week, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.